Hello there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tavalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. A ship is alive. Treat him well and care for him properly and he will fight for you against the worst sea, a sea folk saying. Hello and welcome back. I am here with my friend Tracy. And I'm here with my friend Amber. And this is the Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast. And today we are back with our Patron's Choice episode on the sea folk. I'm excited. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm, you've been ready for this for like almost two weeks though, because we didn't record last week, because I was like sick, my whole family was sick, just nasty flu, and I finally got a chance this week to feel human enough to add to the notes, it was just like, oh my god, there's so much stuff here! <laughs> uh, but there were so many things, and this is one of the things that I think can be really confusing to new readers and I mean it's still confusing to me like what's the difference between a sail mistress and a wave mistress and what are the differences between the ships and why do they have the piercings and the tattoos and like there's just so much about them and there's not enough time to really like kind of get into it because there's so many things that are happening around them so like getting to kind of just like dig into this I feel like I have a much better grasp of the sea folk, and now I kind of want one of the tattoos. The <laughs> I can see you with a hand tattoo, right? like little. Just actually, I can't. I would never do that. It's too, it's way too visible. I like to have my tattoos so I can cover them up at least a little bit. But my tattoos are mainly like bicycle shorts, <laughs> like everything above yep. the knee. Yeah, yeah. I think I only have and on the arms. Yeah, I have one below. And then I have like one up by my chest. I want to get one over here on my shoulder. We can talk about tattoos later. I love tattoos, so of course the sea folk are gonna like catch my interest on that level as well. But since this is a 101, we're gonna just start out with, like you said, the basics. We're gonna just put it together and try to break it down so it makes sense and yeah. Yeah, the first half will be spoiler-free, and then we'll get into some of the more spoilery stuff after the break. Oh, the juicy stuff is there. Not that it's not always in the spoiler-free section, too, but like, oof, okay. Okay. Just incentive, so, right? Yeah. Keep reading. <laughs> Keep reading. Don't give You'll up. There. Yeah. So the overview, we're starting with the Seafolk Islands, Mm -hmm. plural, Mm -hmm. because they are not from just one location. Mm -hmm. And the islands of the Athan Mir are in the Aerith Ocean and the Sea of Storms. And these are all their home ports. Mm -hmm. So they do live on their ships, but they have home ports. Yes. Yeah. And then most outsiders that aren't sea folk or Athan Mir people have never seen these islands. They don't know where they are. They are very rarely bringing outsiders in. So not a lot of traders or visitors there. Yeah, a very secretive people. Like it's built up all of these myths and tales around them. It's just... 
but for good reason. Yeah, yeah, definitely for good reason. One of the things that I found when I was reading this, I guess maybe I've never looked at a full map for the world for the Wheel of Time, but there's also this island. It's not a seafolk island, but I believe it's called the Land of Madness, and it lies in the Southern Hemisphere. And I don't want to get into it too much, but the coolest thing about this is it's basically still a little continent where the breaking of the world is still happening. And for that reason, the sea folk have said it is completely off limits. No one is allowed to go there. Anyone that goes there is basically killed on sight. So no clue. Is it a spoiler to know why it is why it exists? I don't think so. Then tell me, why does it exist? Oh, why does this place exist? The land of Anna's? Okay, so from what I could figure out when I was reading about it, it broke off, like this continent portion broke off from like the main area of the Westlands and has like traveled kind of in a southward direction. It's almost resembling Australia in its size and shape and whatnot on the map. But the women who can channel never formed a hierarchical group to kind of oversee what was happening and to create a system of capturing and gentling men. So men who can channel are still roaming free on this land of madness. And when they crack, they destroy everything. So like think breaking of the world on a continent the size of Australia, where it's just continuously kind of chaotic. Is this the same place that they're sending their mail channelers or is that a different island? I believe it's a different island. When I was reading about it, it like for sea folk mail channelers, they're left at an abandoned island so that there's like no hope of survival, you know? Although mm-hmm. leaving them there sounds like there's no hope of survival either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but maybe it's way more dangerous to approach this island too if there are just like crazy madmen channelers running around running amok right amok 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 (laughs) (laughs) but isn't that kind of fascinating i had no idea that even existed like it thanks i like i thought you would i was like if amber hasn't heard about this well i feel like it would be of course like one of those things that would have been interesting to get like a POV chapter of what's going right? on over there. But how wild. Robert Jordan just had his foot in too many things where <laughs> his world is so vast. It's so vast. Yeah. And I just love and it. Sometimes it's almost just unfair where it's like, <laughs> don't get my hopes up right? with all these wild things and then not give us more than a few mentions. Yeah, like a couple but... paragraphs of this place. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, a POV chapter in a place like that would be. Just wild. Just wild. Yeah. So moving forward, if we look at the wealth and the trade of the Athan Mir, their main income is from trading and the deals that they make with silks from Shara and Ivory. Mm -hmm. And it's just their main economic system, like trade, 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 Mm -hmm. and they've got the fastest ships, Mm -hmm. and they're the most efficient and effective traders Mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah, they are bargain masters. I love that, like their ability to just jump in and create a bargain, and that's like everything. It's either a bargain or it's a gift, and 
Well, even their gifts are treated as a bargain. Exactly. So a lot of the times it's like, I will give you this, but they expect something in return. Yeah, they do. So even with the gift of passage, if the the gift offered by the person who wants to ride on a Seafolk ship, because they'll let anybody ride on their ships except for... No. Except for Aes Sedai. Except for. Yeah. Yeah. But if the gift of passage is not enough then they can be like, oh, I'm sorry, we just don't have enough room and we can't we can't accept your gift in exchange for whatever. And if the gift amount changes, then, oh my gosh, we made a mistake. Of course there's room for you. So even this is like bargained and haggled and disguised as a gift. It's It makes me kind of just laugh and appreciate them and their custom that they've built. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how they seal the bargains with like the, like they kiss the, oh no, that's my left hand. They kiss the tips of their right fingers and then press them against the lips of the person that they're creating a deal with or a bargain with. Do you know what's interesting about that? No, but please tell me. (laughs) It is very reminiscent of how Nynaeve is shown like doing her kind of prayer where she kisses her fingers and puts Puts her her hand on the ground yeah you're so right you're so right i wonder if they knew that or it's just a coincidence yeah i don't think they're trying to make naive (laughs) (laughs) i mean if they are that'd be weird but okay She's descended from people in Manetheran and the sea folk somehow. I don't yeah. this combo. Hopefully not. Um, when I was reading about it, though, I was thinking like what an intimate gesture that feels like. And I guess it makes sense considering how hard they bargain for what they do. Like they've. We are making this up. They spit in their hands and they do a handshake. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Gross. I actually just like kind of spit in my hand when I was pretending to do that. Disgusting. Okay. Um, Seafolk porcelain. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to say it's infamous throughout the Westlands and really pretty much anywhere else that can get their hands on it, it seems like. It's very fine and it is generally used as a way to show honor or status or wealth because it's really expensive. And it's mentioned like Matt, of course, being Matt, several times throughout the series mentions like this piece of sea folk porcelain could buy a kingdom. He's always trying to buy kingdoms, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he, is. he is. So yeah, like as far as like how they build their their economic standing as like a nation is really intriguing because they do produce goods, but the mo- for the most part, it's all based on trading. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope we see some Seafolk porcelain in the TV show. Wouldn't that show. be beautiful? I mean, come on. It- I wonder if it's like... <laughs> I, I just keep getting like the image of like Polish pottery or like hand-painted <laughs> like Dutch pottery. I don't know. That's such a kind of cliche thing here, but... <laughs> I'm picturing, like, white mm-hmm. and blue mm. for some reason. And you know what? I was When I was reading about it, it's generally yellow, green, white, and one other color. But yeah, one of my friends has this really beautiful collection of, like, jade objects. 
for in her kitchen. Like, I don't know. <laughs> this is my jade menagerie. <laughs> it's so pretty. Like, I, every time I look of it, at it, I don't know why. I'm just like, that looks like seafolk porcelain to me. I don't know why. It's a sea folk and doesn't mm. know it. She does have an anchor tattoo on her foot. So uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to have to talk to her about that. <laughs> so let's get to the ships. Yeah. This is obviously very important for their culture, as you would imagine. Yeah. But they prefer to live on their ships their whole lives. Mm-hmm. So they're always on the water, and they believe that each ship has a living spirit with a man's heart and courage, which I think is interesting because today society, like, ships and boats always have, not always, but usually have the name of a woman, so for Jordan to, like, flip it and be like, it's a man, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, see what you did there. Mm -hmm. So on top of it being their homes, the ships are a part of their family, Mm -hmm. and they are always made by hand, by the people who will sail it. Mm -hmm. So this is like a labor of love. That's incredible. I could not build a ship. I mean, I guess if you're raised like from birth, like knowing how to do something and being taught how to do something, it's different. But when I think about like just being like walking up and like seeing people building a (laughs) ship, I'm like, wow. Right? Wow. By hand? Yeah. By hand. Yeah. That Egyptian documentary that I sent to you yesterday that I was watching, they were talking about the culture of shipbuilding that exists in Egypt because of the Nile. And they were showing how this one individual was making a ship by hand the way it had been done for centuries and it was fascinating hard pass right (laughs) it looked like way too much work for me but i bet it's gonna be beautiful like yeah i'm sure but so much work like you said labor of love 100 percent incredible i love it i think i think that would mean though like the bigger clan Mm. or family that you have the better off you would be because you'd have all of these people to make a big ship for you. Yeah, and multiple ships. There's four different classes of ship, and then I'm going to start from the largest Mm -hmm. and go to the smallest, Mm -hmm. but the raker is always the biggest, and it's always the fastest. Mm -hmm. And then there's a skimmer and a soarer and a darter. And these names, it's like and dasher and dancer and prancer. (laughs) On Vixen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the mental image that the names conjure, though. Like the They're all, like, fast-sounding. Yeah, like skimming across the ocean gracefully mm-hmm. and quickly. Like, that's how it, it makes me feel. Good job, Robert Jordan. Yeah. Uh, there's also three different types of rigging that they have for the ships. And I, I am not a seafaring person by nature. No. But... <laughs> The first one is high-rigged, and I believe that means that it has lots of sails, mm. and then, like, you're going lower and lower, like, so high-rig, half-rigged, low-rigged. Mm-hmm. So the rakers, the biggest ships are always high-rigged, mm-hmm. and that's why they're always the fastest and the most sought after. Mm-hmm. And then you basically, like, as you go down, it can be either, like, com- any combination, really. Mm-hmm. And then I think think as far as 
the darter, did I already say this, but anything smaller than the darter, which is the smallest type of ship, is just referred to as a boat. Mm -hmm. So I feel bad for these, you know, (laughs) low-class sea folk who have to row around on a boat. Yeah. (laughs) Someday I'll have a big ship. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Aw. Poor little boats. And then if we keep going, so I want to talk a little bit about the Athan Mir before the breaking. And this is kind of where their close relationship with the sea is tied to. Mm -hmm. And when the land was all in upheaval and madness, sadness, badness, everything's going on, they all took to the sea for safety Mm -hmm. and taught themselves how to sail. Mm -hmm. So this was like their place of refuge Mm -hmm. i would say no i i would say that too actually like part of me thinks oh my god how scary and the other part of me is like yeah but being on land was probably way worse it's just kind of an incredible switch like what people did to kind of manage this worldwide destruction so yeah i think of like the formation of new islands, Mm, like mm -hmm. volcanoes erupting Mm -hmm. and creating new islands. And it's almost like anywhere you would go. So if you're on like a big continent in the Westlands, like it was close to 300 years Mm -hmm. of male channelers just ravaging. Mm -hmm. So if you think about what can be achieved in just those 300 years, but how many thousands of years has it been since the breaking? At so least three? they've been a, yeah, yeah. So they've been a seafaring nation for about three thousand years. Which is a long three thousand years of yeah, endless generations living on the water, mm-hmm. and it becomes such a part of them that they women will do anything to be on their ship to give birth to their children. They want to die on their ships if at all possible to die on land and be buried there is seen as like about the worst kind of disgraceful yeah it's about the worst ending you could ask for so it's it's a pirate's life for me (laughs) (laughs) i mean they're not they're not pirating but but (laughs) yeah i mean everything about them like they're so disdainful of people who live on the land like their ability dirty land lovers yeah so i just i find there i find that attachment it's incredible like you said for three thousand years this has been happening so it's very much part of who they are okay so let's talk about what they look like one of their distinct traits is their brightly colored hand tattoos, mm-hmm. which signify what clan they belong to, among other things. They wear these really colorful sashes at their waists, and they're always adorning themselves in gold and silver and lots of jewelry. Mm-hmm. They're pretty colorful people. Mm-hmm. The thing I always liked the most about their jewelry were the scent boxes. They would carry on chains around their necks like they're always sniffing this scent. And I'm trying to figure out what it is. Like, what? why would they do that? Is it possible that it's just snuff and people, <laughs> people think that they're smelling it to some, like, oh, it's something that smells good, but they're just like... The sea folk are secret snuffers. 
And it could that be. is the name of the episode. <laughs> I mean, they would have the opportunity to trade for, like, good tobacco, so. True. Yeah, because, I mean, I can understand associating a scent with a place and a memory, but they're on the water, and that's their whole that's, thing. So why yeah. are they, like. Why wouldn't you, why would you want to smell anything other than the salt and sea? Right. It just, I'm always like, why? Okay. They intrigue me, though, because I think I would love something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I just see me walking around. Not the snuff part. I mean, (laughs) I've never tried it, so. (laughs) I mean, it's all right, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Is that from experience? You don't have to answer that. I'm just teasing you. (laughs) Yeah, there was a... I was at a lake cottage one summer, and there was, like, this <laughs> store that was selling snuff, and I was like, why not? I'll try it, because one of my friends had bought it. I've never bought it myself, mm-hmm. but it was, like, one of those, like, mm, why not? I'll try it once. Yeah. Like, Oof. Di- didn't do much for me, no, going to be honest. It wasn't your but, thing. But it wasn't, like, I don't know, it wasn't super gross or something. Mm. Maybe it's, maybe the sea folk are into it. I don't know. I just... Like as far it's as coke, yeah, it's cocaine. <laughs> like as far That's, as things I mean, that... listen to all the name of their ships: Darter, Sorer, <laughs> Skimmer, Raker. They are they are quite, um, yeah, speedy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> gotta go, gotta go, gotta, gotta go, trade, go, gotta go, trade. Go, go. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my money, bring me my silk. Yeah. Going to make a deal? Got to make a deal. Let's go trade. Going to go now. <laughs> Ooh, Robert Jordan had no idea we would make this connection. So I know I mentioned it earlier about the, the tattoos and whatnot, like the, the six-pointed star that is frequently found male-female on the hands of Seafolk, and it's like in between the thumb and the forefinger. And... This one actually has a specific meaning as a symbol of the covenant that they have with the Koromor. And we'll talk more about that when we get to, like, the Jendai prophecy. But as far as, like, expecting the the dragon, the Koromor, the Karakarn, whoever you're expecting, I feel as though the Seafolk are the only ones who feel actually prepared for it like it's going to happen tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I can't think of another group that has, like, this, like, I'm, no, that would probably be a spoiler for the That's what I was going to say, but I was afraid to say it. (laughs) But as far as, like, altering and permanently having something on your appearance that says, I'm ready for this, it, I I just don't know if there's another group that has something like that. But I could Hmm. be wrong. I did want to see what a six-pointed star looks Mm -hmm. like, and of course, the Star of David is a six-pointed star and is regularly connected to Judaism. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also found out that it was used by alchemists to symbolize the union of opposites, and it is considered by some to be the symbolic epitome of as above, so below. And the idea, to me, feels like it kind of translates into the Sea Folk Covenant, yeah, it almost also sounds a little bit like a compass rose, only mm-hmm. the wrong amount of points. Mm-hmm. But 
I don't think that they would be using real compasses. Mm-mm. I wonder if there's a mention of it. I'll have to, I'll keep my, I'll keep my eyes open to that mm-hmm. as I'm reading. I don't know if they have compasses in the Wheel of Time. Oh, but interesting. Neither do I. It sounds vaguely nautical, mm-hmm. like a compass rose. Mm-hmm. When I looked at the design for it that's been created for the Wheel of Time, like chapter icons, it does, the way that it's shaped is much more like a compass rose than it would be like what we think of as like the Star of David. So yeah, I think it does feel much more like that than something else. I want to look it up. What is the icon look like is it just that well the seafolk icon is the birds isn't it it is but in the center of it it has the six pointed star i was looking at it yesterday okay yeah that's a compass rose right but that's the wrong amount in the icon <laughs> it has seven. Oh, it does it or wait one two three four five six or eight it has eight interesting well, that's too many. So maybe that's not even, yeah, maybe that's not even the tattoo anyways. Maybe it's something completely different. Oh, interesting. It's also interesting that it's not seven because I feel like that's kind of a number that mm. gets thrown around often. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's true. Isn't it seven spokes of the wheel? Mm-hmm. Seven Ajas. yeah. But anyways, moving on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have 10, don't they, in the Wheel of Time? I honestly have no idea. I've never really thought about their calendar structure, and I've just automatically assumed it's the same as mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. The women also like to wear nose rings on their left nostril. Mm-hmm. So there's a nose ring with other ornaments attached to the ring Mm -hmm. usually like the nose ring gets attached to a chain which then goes to like the earrings and piercings Mm -hmm. and stuff and sometimes there are like little medallions hanging on it too Mm -hmm. so this looks like a very bizarre and potentially painful contraption to be wearing and so the reaction that this gets in the wheel of time like i'm just thinking about how often like people like raise their hand to their nose thinking about what that must feel like and i think i mean if it's there you're gonna after the first time you accidentally yank on it i'm sure like <laughs> oh my god no you know what i mean yes like, oh god do you think they sleep with those on that would suck you could only lay on one side of your right head. i can't I toss and turn too much for that yeah, i'm trying to think of how that would feel and it does not sound comfortable at all um <laughs> but i think it's just one more thing that kind of highlights the culture damn it nesta were you sleeping again <laughs> no i swear i wasn't you have a line on your face i can see it don't lie to me. Your chains have given you away. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but again, like, I think this is just another thing that kind of, like, separates the sea folk out from, like, the main people of the Westlands. Yeah. So both the men and the women wear breeches. Mm-hmm. So the women's aren't wearing skirts. They both wear earrings. And neither of the men or women wear any shoes. Mm, mm -hmm. The quality of the fabric that they wear usually denotes their status Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. among their people or their clan Mm -hmm. or their group on a ship, family. And to help the Seafolk women fit into Westland society, (laughs) they will opt for blouses, which means they usually go shirtless. Mm -hmm. 
And I took this quote from Robert Jordan's World of the Wheel of Time books. I, I'll just read it. Please do. Because I had a reaction. So throughout the known world, tales relate the almost irresistible allure of the seafolk women, the epitome of beauty and temptation. <laughs> the deep chocolate coloration of their skin and their unequaled grace Born of years, balancing on wind-lashed riggings on the high seas, contribute to their allure. The seafolk custom of wearing nothing above the waist except jewelry, once beyond sight of land, has enchanted the legends. The well-muscled men, clean-shaven and bare-chested, are also considered dangerously handsome. Dangerously <laughs> handsome. Dangerously! Just... <laughs> Is that... Is that Daniel Henney? Is Daniel Henney dangerously? Yes. Yeah. But I'm... But not chocolatey. I, I don't understand why authors have to always explain skin color in terms of, like, edible objects. Right. It's such a random thing. Right. Like, her almond skin. Yeah, or, or her... cream-colored complexion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just... it. It's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> It's a thing. And at the same time, like the idea of chocolate gives me like lustrous and rich and beautiful. And so like in some ways I really like it, but it is like really cliche and a bit overused. And couldn't we come up with something better? I don't know. It's it's a thing. Yeah. It's a thing. It kind of And I mean, it's an older series, so I get it, but it's just at the same time like Considering people exotic for their skin color mm-hmm. is a little like, eh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, I had to say that because despite it being kind of cringy, like it's interesting <laughs> that they aren't something, they aren't a normal society to see in the Westland. So mm-hmm. not only is the fact that they are not white or pale skin mm-hmm. different than the majority of the Westlands, mm-hmm. But they go around without tops on, and <laughs> as you can imagine, this would make anyone from the Westlands blush. Mm-hmm. So the Seafolk women, like, when they get off to a port and they're on the land again, they cover up. Mm-hmm. And I would, too, because I wouldn't want to be sexualized by right. creepy outlanders. Yeah, <laughs> like- yeah, yeah. And I, that's one of the things that I think is really kind of cool about the Seafolk is that they do not see the bare-chestedness of each other as sexual but they recognize the fact that the westlands just can't get it out of their heads (laughs) yeah it's like deal with it pervs damn it like gotta go back on land again i'll put on a shirt fuck boo it's like me in pants never (laughs) never (laughs) tracy's recording right now bottom naked yes i am always (laughs) that's why we don't do live recordings (laughs) Ah, um, I was actually really glad that you put pulled this quote because I do like the the thought of how they have this allure. And yeah, that's all. Okay, so if we keep going, the Athan Mir have something called the Jendai Prophecy. Mm-hmm. And this goes along with the Amir, which is a different classification of seafolk mm-hmm. people that we'll get into later. 
it's generally like shortly after the breaking of the world mm-hmm. and it's called this Jendai prophecy and it states that the people of the sea were fated to wander the waters until the Kormor should return. Mm-hmm. And also like the exact words of this prophecy are not known. Yeah. It's kind of like generalizations. And it seems more like an oral tradition than it does something that's been written down and translated and studied the way that like the right. prophecy of the dragon has been done yeah. in Iceland. Yeah. So it has a very different feel, but as far as what the prophecy says, it says that the sea folk will be required to serve the core more, but there's really no idea what exactly that means. And because they are the sea folk and they bargain for everything, they've just decided that when this core more shows up, it's going to be a give and take. There will be a bargain that they will get something and the core more will get something. So their idea of serving is maybe a little different. <laughs> I wonder if this is where, like, the beginning of the bargaining came from. Mm. Like, if they knew that this prophecy existed since the birth of their culture, do you think they were like, we got to get ready for this big bargain that's going to have to do with basically the end of time? Yes. So we better make sure that we are the best of the best at haggling and bargaining (laughs) before this happens. I actually do think that hap- that that is what it is especially like when we get down to the mistress of the ships okay yeah yeah i do think that that's yep yep okay yeah i love that may i move on of course you may of course you may okay so they also have the amier something called the time of illusion and that's when the female half of the chosen call glows mm. the prophecy is about to be fulfilled and regarding the Koromor, this is a quote from The Shadow Rising. He can wield the one power, and he holds the sword that cannot be touched. The Aiel have come over the dragon wall to his call. The Stone of Tear has fallen, and the war breaks over the nations of the land. Those who once ruled have returned and have been driven back for the first time. The White Tower shall be broken by his name, and the Aes Sedai shall kneel to wash his feet and dry them with their hair. Dang! And again, like, this is, like you said, an oral tradition. Mm -hmm. So I don't think this is exactly, like, word for word, like, what their prophecy is, Mm -hmm. but just something that's kind of repeated as a mantra or omen. Mm -hmm. These things will happen, need to happen, and when they do Mm -hmm. happen... That's our sign. Yeah, that's a very like Mary Magdalene. It type really is thing like washing feet and drying with the hair. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that the washing of the feet is used in many different cultures and religions, mm-hmm. but you know my my white Catholic <laughs> upbringing <laughs> made me think of that first. Of course, same, same. But I do think that. The Athan Mier are a culmination of, I believe, like people, supposedly people from Africa or South India. Yes, that's what I read. Which was kind of like the the inspiration, I guess. And I know that that's a part of like an Indian wedding tradition is washing the feet. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. If we have Indian listeners. 
Ooh, us, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us more. Actually, only... anyone who knows anything that might be connected tell to their more. culture <laughs> yeah. that might yeah. tie into this, I would love to hear it. The next thing you had was the... Oh, miscellaneous. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and asking about how the Athan Mier and the Amayer, or however you say it, deal with male channelers. Um, yeah, so I found on a forum a quote from Robert Jordan where he was asked, how do the Athan Mier and the Amir deal with male channelers? And Robert Jordan said, they kill them. Actually, the Seafolk kill their male channelers. The Amir don't channel themselves. They see it as a violation of the waterway and they commit suicide. Mm-hmm. But they can either, like the male channelers can either walk off the bow of their ship carrying a heavy stone that's also tied to their legs so that they drown, or they can be left behind on an empty island, no food or water. And that one, of course, is considered like the more shameful of the two mm-hmm. to choose. So it is that they kill them, but it's it's voluntary. I get it. I think that's an option that a lot of male channelers think about and choose because like the the end result is just so destructive. Like, could you imagine what would happen if a male channeler went crazy in the middle of an ocean with a fleet of ships around them? Yeah, bad news. And then I think the next thing is chain of command. Do we want to move on to that? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, seriously, oh my God, sea folk. I can't decide what kind of like political government structure they have. Like it feels partly like a meritocracy, partly like a limited democracy, partly authoritarian. There's just this huge blend of what happens to achieve status in the sea folk. And it's not hereditary. You earn it. Like every Mm -hmm. single person starts at the very lowest rank they can possibly be given and they get the worst chores. And it doesn't matter if your mom is the mistress of the ships, doesn't matter. You still start at the bottom. And I got to say, I don't mind that. It's definitely different than some of the other cultures in the Westlands. Very. I, th- I think a lot about the White Tower where it's it all boils down to how powerful you are yep. as a channeler, yep. essentially. And beside being the Omerlin seat, like, that can potentially sway people to make you the Omerlin is how powerful you are. Mm-hmm. But the Seafolk work for it. Yeah. And hard. And, like, no, they are strict. Like, you live or die by following commands on a ship. And so you are expected to follow this chain of command to the letter. And if you do not, there are consequences. So I feel like it's just so, it's so interesting how they they have the system in place and what it, what it must do as you're, you're growing and advancing as you go. So I just think it's, for that purpose, I think it's really interesting. So family at sea? Yeah. Is that our next yeah. one? So this is a matriarchal society, which is not as common in our world as it does seem to be in the Wheel of Time. But again, not hereditary. Um, the names? So, yeah. Like Andor, but not. But not. Yeah. It, yes. Yeah. So names for the sea folk. First name is given at birth. Second name was determined by gender and then had like din, which is basically a saying of the family. Daughters receive the name of their mother, sons the surname of the father. And then they get a salt name 
later on that determines or uh, denotes either something they've been through and accomplished or some sort of character. I think that's really interesting. I wish I had a third name. I don't know what it would be, um, <laughs> but I want one now. Probably not a, probably not a salt name. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, unless you count how much I salt my food, but that's entirely different. Um, <laughs> Tracy, sodium. <laughs> sodium sour. And I won't say your last name. <laughs> Um, but then this is another thing that I, I like. Marriage does not change the last name of the two individuals getting married. They keep their family names. And as a historian, I really like that. So often women in particular get lost in history become because they become Mrs. Male name, last name. So to be able to keep your name, keep your family, keep your identification – I love that, and I think it's really empowering for both sides, really. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I just thought that the, the naming, there's so much about this that I just think is really interesting. And then I think the last thing on marriages is, because we already talked about position and how it's earned, you have a note on seafolk marriages. Yes, it ensures the balance between the two. So whoever has the right to command in public must obey in the private and I have to write a note of spoiler stuff because I just thought of something. <laughs> and you can probably guess what I'm thinking of, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. I think I might have a note in our spoiler section. Oh, if, okay. If, you're, if cool. you're writing down what I think you're going to write down. I think this is really interesting considering we have a society that has women in charge. And more often in the Westlands, it's men who have the power. So women just sit and say, okay, and I mean, not really. That's like an oversimplification. The women in the Wheel of Time are like massively power and powerful in their own way. But in this, like the men actually show obedience. And, but then in private, it's entirely different. How so, yes. Let's move on to the different classifications mm -hmm. of... The sea folk. The first is the wave mistress. She is the leader of a sea folk clan. She is also a sail mistress of her own ship, mm -hmm. recognized by the number of medallions on her nose ring. Mm -hmm. She's elected to her position, which is where like the quasi democratic portion of how they structure their their culture comes in. But I say partial because it's only the like the top twelve or top twelve senior clan sale mistresses and they can also be removed by an order from the mistress of ships or a unanimous vote next we have the sail mistress of the ship she is the captain of the ship and the head of the family mm -hmm. destination schedules are completely de the decision of the sail mistress all cargo decisions however and financial decisions go with the cargo master and then as far as the the earrings it's three earrings in each ear and a medallion hanging from the chain to her nose, which would indicate the type of ship she commanded. I didn't know that. So a raker, darter, soar, scamperer, <laughs> jumper, prancer, <thumper>, prancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The thumper one looks like a little bunny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, then we have 
the wind. Oh, was there more? No, or? no. I was no. going to say okay. Windfinder is next. I love the Windfinders. So she is an advisor to the sail mistress and the wave mistress and the mistress of the ships. Mm-hmm. She is found aboard every ship, and she also has the talent for cloud dancing, which I will get into more in the spoiler section. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a jerk. Everybody thinks I'm so nice. So after the the windfinder is the cargo master. Cargo master is usually married to the seal mistress. Seal mistress. <laughs> Thank you for doing the seal barking. Because if you hadn't, I was going to. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Oh my god okay so usually married to the sail mistress and in charge of the defense of the ship um so they rank below the sail mistress but when it comes to like what he does like as far as cargo defense whatnot like his realm outranks what her realm is Next is the sword master, and he is the wave mistress's male advisor, usually her husband and former cargo master. He holds authority over cargo masters of the clan and directs them in the matters of defense and trade. Aww. So kind of kind of what he sounds like. Sword master, not blade master. Then we have clans and sets. So the first is the mistress of ships. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh. Like, the first thing that popped into my head is imagine how good at bargaining you have to be to be elected mistress of the ships. Because you're, like, on the top of the pyramid in terms of, like, status. Yeah, and it's another unanimous elected vote. So everyone who has the say-so has to agree that you can hold that status. And... It said, I think I read this in the Wheel of Time Companion, that it's a vast power that's over all seps, and it would be envied by a shore-bound ruler. This is what I wanted to, to kind of touch on. There, the only way to remove a uh, mistress of the ships would be through unanimous vote, again, of the 12 wave mistresses. However, a failed... I love this. Isn't I this crazy? This. Mm-hmm. A failed attempt to remove the mistress of the ships meant that any wave mistress who had voted for it had to relinquish her position. Bam. Right? And if they're the senior wave mistresses, like, think about everything they would have to give up if this mm-hmm. vote didn't go through the way that they wanted it to. So you needed to be damn sure that all mm-hmm. 12 of those women would, like, stand up for this. And I thought that was... Yeah really interesting because there's always possibility of demotion with the sea folk and it is taken very seriously by everyone in this society so we have earrings and medallions for the mistress of ships and as you can imagine it's quite a few i was like well i don't understand why this is a big deal she has rated the ability to carry a four-tier parasol and I started looking them up, like what tiered parasols look like, and they're primarily Eastern in style from what I could see. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. I would want one. So 
I had no idea that was even a thing that anyone would want or need. But when I read it, I was like, oh, and I mean, on a ship, can you just see them like standing up there with like this big parasol indicating here I am. I am Mm -hmm. the mistress of the ships. Like it just conjured this amazing image. And I hadn't. Ooh, costume designers, Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. Right. Very excited. Yeah. What do we have next? Master of the Blades. Okay. As his name indicates, he is <laughs> in charge of all of the defenses for the sea folk and over all of the sword masters. He's appointed by the mistress of the ships and is very often her husband. And he rates a three-tiered blue parasol. Just so we know. Three, not four. <laughs> three, not four, because he's under. Boom. Boom. Okay. Take that now, extra tier. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> now I want to get into who the Ami are and a little bit about Tremalkin. Mm -hmm. So there is this group of sea folk who have lived differently than those who make their home at the sea, and they are called the Amiyar. Mm -hmm. They live on the island of Tremalkin, and they are land-based. Now, Tremalkin is located southwest of Terabon and Amadisia, and it is the largest of all the sea folk islands, which is where all of their porcelain is produced. Mm -hmm. They subscribe to this thing called the time of illusion, mm-hmm. and they describe it as life itself being an illusion, mm-hmm. and that true life will be revealed to them after death. So this leads them to stay somewhat isolated from the world's issues and problems. Mm-hmm. The world now that they are living in doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. They also take part in something called the waterway, which is very similar to the Tinker's Way of the Leaf, where they are a very, like, philosophically peaceful society. Mm -hmm. And Robert Jordan had said this in his notes, and I think it'll lead to some potentially spoilery conversation, Mm -hmm. so I decided to, like, stick it right at the end. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Okay. He said, as might be expected, occasionally men are born among the Amayar who can channel. The method of dealing with them is curiously gentle in a way, while at the same time being effective and brutal. The man is shielded, then put into a deep sleep where his dreams and bodily responses are manipulated. He has pleasant dreams, indeed, pleasant dreams of an entire life, and he feels no pain or discomfort, but he sleeps until he dies. Yeah. And I should probably not say the note, because that is a spoiler. (laughs) I will say goodbye for now, and we will jump into the spoilers. (laughs) Yes! Okay. Hello, friends. It's time for a new ad. There's so much happening in the Wheel of Time world, and we have opportunities for you to help us continue to create quality Wheel of Time content. If you would like to help, rate us wherever you listen. This helps other people find the podcast. You can also join us on YouTube and subscribe to the channel. Help create the show by joining us on Patreon. We have four different tiers with perks ranging from shoutouts to bonus content to merch not found in our Threadless store. Speaking of the Threadless shop, it's absolutely bursting with beautiful Wheel of Time designs and various items to put them on. Need a Wolf Brother t-shirt? It's there. A First Sister pin to send to your bestie? We've got them. How about a White Tower Dropout sweatshirt? You know Amber made one. 
The point is, we love the Wheel of Time. You love the Wheel of Time. Go get some merch that shows it. You can find links for Patreon and our Threadless shop in our show notes. One last thing. You guys are the best. Your support means the world to us. Thank you for being the amazing people, humans, sentient creatures that you are and keeping us company on the road to Tarvalin. I'll reread this part of Mm, the quote mm -hmm. from Robert Jordan, the note. So he also notes that this manipulation of dreams is something beyond what any Aes Sedai and probably beyond any Aeol wise one could do who are dreamwalkers, Mm -hmm. which is very, very, very interesting. I agree. When I was reading this note I didn't know if I was horrified or uh, like thankful that it didn't feel as as brutal but I mean it's even described as being brutal so I I I mean I don't know an option of drowning an option of suicide an option Mm -hmm. of going mad like all of the things that could be done to a man who can channel this one almost feels like the gentlest of the ones that we see yeah 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 it's either this or death death or death by death (laughs) (laughs) death by by your own hands by someone else's hands death by starvation death by madness Mm -hmm. i mean there's not a good option Mm -mm. no there really isn't and i mean it almost makes sense considering their feel about this peaceful philosophy through the waterway for them to try to find something that feels as peaceful as possible. Like the idea of giving somebody an entire life to live through while they're in dream slash death status is just wild. It's almost sweet and thoughtful. It's, I don't know. Again, give me an option. That's the one I would choose. Right. For a, pacifist society it makes sense Mm -hmm. that this would be the choice yeah but it's also so interesting that i'm like again like i need theories and ideas and more information because we have people like Egwene who she's a dreamer she's extremely talented and teleron riode she even finds that place between the dream and Teleron Riode mm-hmm. where she like kind of has one foot in, one foot out, and she's kind of like poking around and mm-hmm. feeling at it. Yeah. And this is where I think I want to say she whispers to Nynaeve in her sleep, like yes. instructions. Yeah. And for Egwene to be able to do that, it's extremely hard. Yeah. And this isn't just that something anyone can do. So for this to be the Amiers mm-hmm. method, mm-hmm. it means they have to have either one person who's extremely powerful and capable and knowledgeable of how to do this. Mm-hmm. And this would be like taught generation to generation of channelers because mm-hmm. they don't send anyone to the white tower do they the on my on my air on my R? i don't know yeah but if they did they're pacifists so they would have to be brown aja i would feel like or i mean i i don't see them being reds because they wouldn't they wouldn't 
identify with this method of going after male channelers because it's against their pacifist nature. Yeah. They wouldn't be green Mm-mm. because they wouldn't battle. No. I mean, white blue brown. is like a yeah, white brown. Maybe and gray. they don't meddle. Oh, I don't no, think they're, gray like because they don't meddle in politics. Mm-hmm. They don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. But so I feel like they would either need like someone extremely talented mm-hmm. in this manipulation of dreams or they would have to be in possession of an extremely like powerful Tarangriol mm-hmm. that they would be able to kind of like get Channel I don't know through. like get everyone together in the same room and just like is it like whoever's in the presence of this Tarangriol like or is it you give someone possibly a concoction that keeps them asleep because they use poisons there they are not a stranger to that Mm -mm. like their herbs and stuff because of what happens on tremelking i guess i should explain it in case you don't people don't remember but they all kill themselves i don't know how you could possibly forget that happening but i also understand if you did if you blacked out after the cleansing of Sidene, <laughs> because it was just that crazy, this happened. Yeah. But this also sounds really similar to the hedgehog Tarangriol yes. that they use on Fayil. Yeah. And they put her to sleep with it. Mm-hmm. So I just have to wonder if they had some access to one of these Tarangriol that maybe... I don't know. Like they have a, they have the female half of the Choden call right. on their island. Who's to say like what other weird stuff they've got? I mean, it and, could have been like a stash. Like all right. of these things went together, like a cache. Yeah. yeah. And when this little island became what it became during the breaking of the world, what they already to say? had it. Yeah. And if it's just them trying to figure mm-hmm. out what works and how. And they're, of course, peaceful people, so they're going to try peaceful methods with their Tarangriol right. that they find. So what's more... S- yeah. <laughs> or I mean, sleep this- till you death. Sleep till this- you death. <sighs> <laughs> this, this definitely reminds <gasps> me of some very, like, sci-fi themes mm. where, like, people are put into kind of, like, a... Like a hibernation, yeah. I guess, yeah. where it's been explored in many other books and literature and TV series and movies. And and also, there is a part of the books in Crossroads of Twilight where Al- Alviaren was on Tremalking. Yes. And it says, upon returning to the White Tower, Alviaren took care to dust off the red dirt from her feet, which was only found on Tremalking. Is it possible? I mean, she could have been sent there by Masana to, like, check on the status of the Choden call or the mass suicide or whatever. But it would have been really cool if she was searching for more of these, like, Angriol mm. that the Black Aja had yes. lost to the Wonder Girls in Abu Dhar. <laughs> so. The Wonder Girls? Be- yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. it. <laughs> That's so cute. This would be a very important Tarangriol for the side of the shadow that has already lost quite a few. We've seen the power of dream Tarangriols for the vast majority of the the season, or season, series. So, yeah. And I mean, Masana would know 
Tarangriel much better than the Aes Sedai would. she's... Because she's from yeah. the Age of Legends. So she might have even been aware of, like, what might be there with the Choden Call or perhaps had already checked it out herself. So, yeah. Oh, I love that right. idea. And Alviren's mm-hmm. so sneaky. Ooh, do you think he? Yeah. she maybe showed her how to use, like, the the Mask of Mirrors so that when she went, she looked like she was from? She could have. Totally. Definitely. Absolutely. When are we writing spinoffs for this? <laughs> Unequivocally. <laughs> I love it. So I did want to extend like a little bit about the Amayar and Tremal King because it's hard to talk about them without spoilers. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's very possible that these are also descendants of the Chen Aiel, the waterway evolving perhaps from like one of the Daishan Daishan Aiel Mm -hmm. that was cut off during the breaking of the world. Mm -hmm. So like... They could have created their own little sect. Mm-hmm. I think of like the Mormons, mm-hmm. like the Mormon church, how they've split. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense because yeah. with the world breaking, what would the likeliness of them all being able to stay together have been? Right. Weren't the right. Genial like a relatively decent sized group of people right like what if there was just one guy that got trapped like on an island somewhere and he was like all right i'm gonna start my new cult now like who's gonna stop me i'm just gonna (laughs) preach you know my my religion or whatever my philosophy yeah i mean they could have gone through a a a transition similar to what the Aiel went through as well. Exactly. So, and then not even remember what their actual history is any longer like the Aiel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Ooh, that makes sense. And the fact that the Aiel have the saying about waking from the dream, which is so Ooh. similar to this idea of real life being an, an illusion. illusion. Oh my gosh. Confirmed. I don't care what anybody Confirmed. else says. That's what it is now. <laughs> okay. And we're going to jump to what creates the tension between Seafolk and Ice Yeah, today. do we want to talk about that for 10 minutes or something? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is one of the really, I don't know, I think it's really interesting. I know some people don't at all, like, care for the Athan Mir. They think that they're just kind of mean Mm. and I I understand that but when I look at them as a adversary for Tarvalin itself Tarvalin's like the biggest political player in the world so at first glance it doesn't really seem like the sea folk should be able to haggle with the Aes Sedai or stand up to them but as you get up closer the sea folk might be the only culture that can really do that Mm-hmm. because they can basically hold all of the Westlands hostage. And I mean, saying that out loud, like it sounds bad, but can you imagine what the economy of the Westlands would look like if the Seafolk were just like, you know, like we're tired of getting pushed around. We're tired of being told what to do. We don't want to trade with you anymore. We quit. Mm-hmm. And like this is where all of this bargaining power comes mm-hmm. from. They don't necessarily have to be the best deal makers. Mm -hmm. They could just simply be like, we quit. Mm -hmm. We won't do trade with you anymore. Mm -hmm. And without them, you know, the Westlands would 
probably likely starve to death. It's a possibility. Or the economies of many of these bigger nations would just fall to shambles. Mm -hmm. So without them and their ships, Mm -hmm. the Westlands would suffer. Very much. And the goods that they trade would just stop moving. So I'm actually, like, you talking about that is making me think of what's happening now. And I don't know if this is happening in Europe as well, but, like, in the U.S., there's this trade, this uh, yeah, semi mm-hmm. like this what shortage. Is it like I think there's a strike or something or protest or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I understand, but having that shut down, like this is the dumbest thing. But I have been trying to make crunch bars for like <laughs> two or three weeks, and I cannot mm-hmm. find Rice Krispies. There's like some sort of weird Rice Krispie shortage. There's a weird cream cheese shortage. Like what the <laughs> fuck? So like, and I mean, I know those are just little things, but it starts little and it gets bigger and bigger. Right. And so if the sea right. folk just decide to like, I don't know, kick it on their ships with their parasols yeah. and whatever, and just like yeah. smiled at the Westlands with all their gold in their ships, like, yeah, they totally There's nothing could do that. that. They could do. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that's probably stopping them is their own income yeah i guess and desire they to could... do what they do best right right but they you obviously like don't want to piss them off because they like despite them being like the biggest trade union mm-hmm. in the world they also have the best lawyers in the world so it's like no matter what you do you can't really tell them what to do no 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 <laughs> i mean you just can't so like Elaine gets a lot of shit for not being able to, like, bargain with them as well as she could. But at the same time, I wonder if this is a thought in the back of people's minds. Like, you want to get what you want, but you don't want to push them too hard. I feel like the Athanmi are always going to come up on top. Mm -hmm. Just a a fraction, no matter what, every time. Yeah, And I think what what Elaine ended up with her bargain with the Seafolk might ultimately be, like, for the best for Andor even. So whether people can see that for the long term or just what's happening right now, that's a that's a different story. But, I mean, yeah. you're dealing with people who have been bargaining for centuries. Centuries. Yeah. And they've been passing it down and passing it down and <laughs> teaching it. I am, it's like <laughs> I am a long line of haggling truck drivers. <laughs> <laughs> My father's father's father <laughs> comes from a long line of bartering, I am descended unionized from. <laughs> truck drivers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's they they keep the economy of the Westlands moving, okay. and you can't forget it. So, I mean, despite all of this, like on the other hand, the Seafolk have this intense fear of Tarvalin because the Seafolk are hiding the fact that one of the reasons they are such capable sailors is because they use female channelers to make their ships go faster and mm-hmm. prancer and dancer and <laughs> all of that. They don't need a Rudolph. They have wind finders. They can just exactly. push the, the, the fog away with their channeling mm-hmm. abilities. Yeah. I love that so, we have so, somehow connected the sea folk to Rudolph and the crew from Santa. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea and that was going to happen. Cocaine addicts yeah. and truck drivers. And I snuff mean, sniffers. 
and snuff stickers. Where does it end? <laughs> nowhere. Nowhere. There's no bottom. <laughs> yeah. Last thing, very last thing, their Navy is unmatched. Mm-hmm. It is the only culture that's basically untouchable mm-hmm. from any other military in the Westlands. So even if the Athan Mia were like, you know what, we quit. Even if every single nation in the Westlands started building boats, they wouldn't be, they able wouldn't to. be as fast, Mm-mm. they wouldn't be as capable, Mm-mm. and it would take way too long really to long do. Really long time. So. Yeah. Resources to build a ship. <laughs> it's yeah. not like it's just like, oh, I just, I will 3D print my ship today and it'll be fine. Right. right. Chopping down trees and... You know, I'm not going to get into it because, one, I don't know enough about it, and, two, it would just get boring. It's hard. <laughs> so the next yeah, yeah, yeah. next thing, yeah. Are we, Windfinders, Windfinders extended. So Windfinders can channel. They're not attached to the Oathrod, so they have exceptionally long lives. Their lives on ships are very dangerous, so it's frequent that they don't make it to that full range that they might be able to however there is the possibility that they will outlive their wave mistress and if and when they do they then have to work with the wave mistress of a lower rank which means that they have to give up every demoted yeah they have to give up the status that they had and work their way back up again and this can happen repeatedly for a windfinder who outlives multiple wave mistresses and I was like, okay, I understand having to get your place there once, but having to do it again and again. Claw back up. I mean, Oof. at the same time, how grateful would that wave mistress be to have someone so experienced to work with? So if you look at it as an opportunity to be the counsel of the wave mistress to help them become the best wave mistress they can be, it doesn't feel quite so bad. But at the same time, I'm like, that just feels really mean. Like they've worked so hard. And so a word to the wise, do your morning calisthenics and your stretches, be light on your feet, don't get taken out by a swinging mast. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. Get your, long get your vitamin C, avoid scurvy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just, I thought that that was kind of, I don't know, it just, it feels a little unfair. And then you have hidden from the tower written down as well. Yeah. I, I had this theory not too long ago that it wasn't really a theory. It was just maybe like amusing that perhaps the sea folk are sending their weakest channelers to the tower or their channelers that can do things that wouldn't be useful mm-hmm. for a windfinder. Mm-hmm. So I actually they just yeah, that's what it says in the Wheel of Time Companion is that they will generally choose the women who are weakest and not just because they wouldn't become strong windfinders but it meant that they wouldn't go past being an accepted in the white tower and so they could come back home I, probably i think so it's when they send someone who is strong enough to become an Aes Sedai that woman historically always chooses brown and when they retire from the White Tower, they still don't go back to the Sea Folk because the Sea Folk don't want there to be a connection between the fact that they have these 
strong channelers. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the woman who is chosen is also, like, someone that they feel can keep their secrets really well and someone who makes a willing sacrifice knowing that they will not be able to come back to their families. And in some ways, the White Tower being the the kind of place where it's like whatever happened before you came here didn't actually happen and is gone and is in your past. So people don't really inquire from these sea folk Aes Sedai what the sea folk what their past is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're kind of like safe and hidden. They've got this whole like system worked out to keep it so that the Aes Sedai never come like searching on their ships for women who can channel smart one of my smart yeah one of my favorite things is when Nynaeve is like trying to get them to like like grow a backbone come on and then like it (laughs) it doesn't work out so good for her because they do grow a bit of a backbone (laughs) I like when she I love that for Nynaeve yeah like I like when she tries to lift the wave mistress and sail sail mistress windfinder on one of the ships and then tries to drop them into the water and they just like make perfect somersaults and dive straight in because they were born on the sea, Nynaeve. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can you imagine trying to like with your your <laughs> your effects company Ooh. like trying to like work that out? And you, oh, you know, they okay. They could do Sorry. it. I'm like <laughs> they could do it. You could hire someone who's a professional diver yep. and then you would just you would just green screen it all. I mean, you would suspend them. You'd have to do it in two cuts, but you would like suspend them over the water where they're like like <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing like ghost motions like ooh, <laughs> I'm floating. <laughs> But then have them just, like, dive and do, like, a perfect, you know, like, somersault dive. Like, and then just straight in. Like, every time I picture it in my head, like, part of me feels bad for how embarrassed (laughs) you must be. And the other part of me is like, man, the sea folk are so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that could look very cheesy. It could, but it could also look really cool. It could look really cool because Rand pulls like a similar-ish trick for himself when he goes to visit the sea folk and he builds like an air bridge. Air bridge. <laughs> Take him to the bridge. Um, all I'm, I'm thinking about now is when they <laughs> throw Egwene overboard. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Not gonna lie, that was hilarious. There are so many moments where, like, I just feel as though the sea folk are like, "No, I've had enough. Right? This done. is preposterous. Just done with this." Yeah, love <laughs> let it. me see your backstroke, Egwene. <laughs> <laughs> How's that wool dress feeling about now? Uh, yeah. So, last battle, or do we have, or do we have anything? I didn't have anything else in that segment. Okay. But I just, I really appreciate, despite it being very small and maybe not very fleshed out, the Athan Mier's role in the last battle. Mm-hmm. And I found this quote where, this is from the wiki, but during the last battle, the Windfinders and the Sea Folk fought heroically in Thakandar Valley near Shale Ghoul. In particular, the Channelers rotated in groups of 13 and constantly use the will of the winds against Shaitan, manipulating the weather in the valley. 
Also, when a group was busy with the bull, the others were constantly occupied against attacks of dreadlords. And like, yeah, okay, the bull of the winds, I don't really give a crap about it. I That plot was very long. Very arduous. long. Wow. Very long. <laughs> but like using wind or whatever against the dark one, like manipulating the weather, I don't really know like what or why like was the dark one trying to shoot down mm. lightning bolts lightning bolt lightning bolt and they were just like <laughs> no that's but that's how i read it was like they were trying to make sure to push back to make sure that like there wouldn't mm. be extreme climates for people to be fighting in but that was just the interpretation that i put on it sudden snowstorms no one's prepared the sea folk are all barefoot yeah <laughs> <laughs> they didn't bring their snowshoes. Right. But I think just like being occupied against dreadlords, like now that's cool. That's very like, cool. Fighting with wind and stuff. That's eh, okay. But, <laughs> but dreadlords? dreadlords? Very cool. Very cool. I agree with you. I don't, I mean, I have this idea in my head of what it could look like. Mm. And I, the grasses, it gets a little bit more. It becomes a little bit more of its own thing. Mm-hmm. Like, the white ribbons look okay. Like, I don't hate it. Mm-hmm. But I would like to see more of what the channeling can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we've only really had, like, the white ribbons and lightning so far. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got the the big scene with uh, Moraine and Leave taking in that first episode where she, like, pulls down the wine spring in and everything. Like... Yeah, but that was, like, magically moving things in air. Oh, okay. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like, we haven't really seen fire. Mm-hmm. We haven't really seen wind or, like, manipulation of the weather, dis- like, besides mm-hmm. lightning. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've – there's a TV series called A Discovery of Witches. We've talked about it before. I think it's on yeah. – I think it's on my brother-in-law's Plex account. You should watch some of it. Is it good? I like it. Uh-huh. It's It's kind of like – a like a guilty pleasure like I just there's nothing about the plot that I think that it's so magnificent that I would tell everyone to watch it right but their visual effects are really really good for a tv show that deals with magic and they only do like seven episode seasons and this newest season season three there's an episode in particular the last episode where I was like, ooh, ooh, Ooh. like that's cool where there's some weather manipulation and it's like witch versus witch. And I was like, that looks really good. I could get into that. I do like magic shows and they're very hard to find good ones. Yeah, but she she does actual like weaves like they she's called like a weaver. Mm. So like they're very thread like and that's exactly what I pictured. Okay, now I have to now I have doing. to watch yeah. it. I have to watch it now. <laughs> it's fine. I needed something to binge anyway with all of my extra time. Um <laughs> I had wanted to talk about the bargains, but we could spend a really, yeah. really, really long time doing that. So maybe we could do a YouTube video. We could. On Seafolk Bargains at some point. So I think the last thing is Lan and Nynaeve. <laughs> Yes, that's what I wrote down. I, because it's it's going back to whoever commands in public must obey in private. And I'm thinking of, like, how their marriage 
ceremony went and how it's kind of like this is <laughs> it's almost a bit embarrassing like Nynaeve can't not blush about right. it. Right. So, yeah. So who do you think what who do you think can command in public but Nynaeve? Nynaeve. <laughs> yeah. God yeah. has to be. Cuz I can see like Lance has spent decades as a warder. You know, he's kind of like in that zone where it's totally like he's like that's fine whatever Tell you me say. What to do. Yeah, I'm all right with it. But Nynaeve, on the other hand, if Lan were suddenly like, no, I'm the guy in charge, Nynaeve would be like, oh, that's what you think. <laughs> that's hilarious. So that means, well, if Nynaeve is commanding him in public, that means that he has to command in private, which goes back to New, New Spring. Spring. <laughs> I and might start blushing any moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What do you think Lan's like in private? I'm, well, he's I'm, not shy in the bedroom. I know, right? What he says in New Spring. Steamy. I wish I could find that chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, let me see. I have it open right now. Because <laughs> the New Spring copy is never far away. It just can't be. I mean, it's sitting <laughs> on my lap, basically. So really not just very far away. call it men. <laughs> It's in the deeps chapter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when the barmaid's talking to him. Yes. And like, he's with uh, Ren, Rain, whatever that guy's name is. Mm -hmm. Ryan, Rain. And something like, if he were to, like, he would be respectful of her desires if she wanted to have a sexual relationship with him, but he would, she would find that he wasn't shy about it. So, consent, but let's get it on. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Oh. Oh, Lan. If Lyra did share his bed tonight, as seemed certain, she would discover there was nothing shy or retiring about him once they were abed. Yet the woman chose when to enter that bed and when to leave. Boom. What is it at? At the end or the beginning? Uh, It's at the beginning. It's just like, in my book, it's about two pages in. And it's at the, like, the end of a, it's after he meets Ryan, and they're like. So, listeners, if you want to find it yourself, you know where to look. Yeah, this is, this is where, by tomorrow, she announced in a throaty voice and loudly, I'll have honored you till your knees won't hold you up. (laughs) This book is so good. Love it. Thanks for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And we leave you with this. With land love. With land love.